Cheers, and welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a Paso Wine Podcast, where what we do here is we spotlight the people, the places, and the stories that make Paso Wine Country so special. This is episode number seven. Can you believe it? Thank you so much for being here. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Well, it is Harvest 2020, smack dab in the middle. Coming up, planning on our next episode, I want to chat with Chris Toronto. He's the communications director for Paso Wine and talk about just the state, How what's the state of harvest right now? What is going on in Paso? I know we will check in with both of our guests today, and they're going to say what they are seeing for Harvest 2020. And I got to be honest, I can't wait to get into this week's episode. I want to jump right in. So Dan, Moonshiner Collective, take us in to this episode, because we are talking Rhone varieties. We are talking Bordeaux varieties, and we got great guests. Bottom line, we are in some good Companies. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify good company. All right, okay, so we know Paso grows so much, meaning so many different types of grapes so well, more than any other region I know of. With more than 40 varieties, we have brands that have taken off during Paso's Rhone explosion, as well as brands who have made their name for themselves, focusing on Bordeaux varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon, which is actually the most planted grape in Paso. The last time I was told, around 50% being planted in Paso wine country. Now, later in the episode, we're going to talk to Daniel Dow. No question, Dow is a cab house. Now, Cab is not necessarily a new flag to fly in Paso. Brands like Eberly swear by it as well and have for more than 40 years. But after a sizable shift in popularity towards the Rhones, attention was being shifted away a little bit from staples like Zinfandel and Cabernet Sauvignon. Soon, Rhone producers were hitting big scores and the cult followings came after. You talk about names like Saxum, Epic Estate Wines, Booker, Alta Kalina, Via Creek, TH Estate, Lene Colono. There are many, and I mean many more. The Rhone Explosion became the Cool Kids Club for a long time. We actually have one of the cool kids on today. But then came Daniel Dow. Not only did Dow set out to excel in cabs, but brought a footprint, a personality, a passion, and the resources to do it all on his own terms. Later, we're going to chat with Daniel Dow about it all in the most candid interview he has ever sat down for. They think just because a person has money that they're out chasing more money or they're out because they think they have money, they're any different people. I've never been different with or without money. I've been broke. I've had $20 in my pocket and I ate pasta for two months to survive, paying my own college education. And I've been wealthy where I was very successful and I built the fifth best IPO on Wall Street in 1997 at a young age of 30 years old. So I've been on both sides of the coin. I've learned one thing in my life, okay? That's a very important thing, is I've never chased money. I've always chased my passion. Can't wait for you to hear that convo. It's just ahead in this episode. But talking about the cool kids of the wrong class, I would say, maybe I wouldn't say she's the class clown, but she's sharp and she keeps you on your toes and definitely makes you laugh a lot. Maggie Tillman of Alta Kalina, along with her father, Bob, has spent over the last 10 years becoming not only known for their wine, but their farming. Their grapes are in demand. They have some insane vineyards, steep hills, elevation, and with views of 
all the big boys in the Adelaide District, Dow, Denner, Law, and more. You might not be able to see Alta Kalina, but they can see you. Their tasting room is right on Adelaide Road, but their vineyards go up and back into the property. I know they love to share the property with their fans, and I'll ask how you can actually check it out as well. I meet up with Maggie and her dad. We hang out in their tasting room, and I even ran into one of my favorite winemakers who was working her first crush with Alta Kalina as their winemaker, now Molly Longborg, who is a rock star and recently left Halter Ranch after nine vintages with them. So stoked to visit and see all three of them. Cheers! It is a delight to see you. It has been too long, Adam. This show, we're talking specifically about how Paso can excel at the Bordeaux and it can excel at the Rhones. And you guys know that. I mean, this is a Rhone house. Absolutely. Through and through. It's dad came into this knowing that Rhones were going to be our focus. And there's really no better place to make the style, to grow the style that, that Bob's interested in. Sort of West Side Paso Robles is where we are and... That's what's going on. Bob, choosing this area, a couple episodes back, we talked why Paso. Your story is fascinating to me. And this specific place where we're at uh, is, is very, very, what's very special to you. It is. It absolutely is. It's a, a little slice of heaven, actually. Well, the story goes way back. 40 years ago? It's, it's getting longer all the time. <laughs> Grad school, time, you know, get away, go to a night class on wine appreciation, 1970 in San Francisco. And it's like, voila, a new discovery. And your first life, you were in tech, right? I was, yeah. exactly. For 34 years, I did that. But the whole time, I was scheming and plotting to... Uh, how to get out. How to launch a winery somehow. Yeah. How to make some real money, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of Enough like, of this tech nonsense. It's like, a, it's like the, you know, the wine owner that won the lottery. They ask him what he's going to do with all the money. He said, I'm just going to keep making wine until it runs out. Yeah. Oh, I've heard like the quickest way to make a million bucks is to spend two million bucks on a winery yeah, or something. Yeah, that's pretty. Well, yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> see There's a lot of twists on that one. Right. Yeah. But you've got to be excited to see all of this, I mean, this newness with, I mean, the tasting room. I mean, this is... So we've come a long way. Yeah. We, we, uh, we, we bought a mountainside in 2003. There was nothing here. Uh, after much effort, about 18 months, we finally got a vine in the ground. Uh, in 2007, we finally got some grapes. We made our wine next door at the Villacana Winery, which is fantastic people, Alex and Monica. Uh, and we had a tasting closet over there that was uh, <laughs> That's us. It put us, put us on the map, as they say. And now here, what? Some many years later, we now have our own building on the property, and we're we're rolling. Yeah. Now, the it's interesting the folds of Alta Kalina because one and and. First is the farming. You guys are known for being, and, and there are a handful of wineries here for just known for their farming. I mean, you, you don't use all your fruit. You sell some of your fruit. Your fruit is very much in demand by a lot of people. So not only did you get from the tech industry to the wine industry, but you became a farmer and you took it on really, really heavy. Well, <laughs> yeah, that was quite something. So when we, when we first started, it's like, I think I'll plant a few vines and you get your pencil out and you figure out you're going to actually plant 41 thousand vines so it's a it's not exactly like the backyard garden but yeah you're right we had a lot of help in early days we worked with vineyard professional services guy named john crossland now randy heinson extremely knowledgeable people they helped us find this piece of property they helped us put that vineyard in and 
basically farmed it for 10 years or so before while we were learning how to do it. So for the last seven or eight years, uh, we have been farming it. We farm it organically. We're not registered. I did registration in a previous life, and I don't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. We talked to a lot of people who have like impeccable farming practices, and are just like you know, I don't. I mean, my the, you know, the fans of this winery don't aren't, aren't asking for it. We're, we know we're being good stewards of the earth. We know what we're doing. We know the quality of the product we're producing, and we're good. Yeah, exactly right. Plus, my daughter lives on the property, so uh, we don't uh, we don't bring bad stuff in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's organic. It's no till. In fact, this year we didn't even uh, deal with the weeds in the vine in the vine rows, which was the first time we haven't gone through there with with a, we have a knife, a, a plow kind of thing that uh, right. de weeds under the vines. This year we just skipped that, which I'm very tickled with actually. Yeah, there was a certain amount of pushback on that front, I might add, from uh, from some folks up on the vineyard, and I stood my ground and I. Just must admit it turned out great. <laughs> it's one of the nice things about There's this There's nothing climate. that tastes better than a good I told you so. That's right. Uh-huh. You got it. Well, you know, so there's there's history here as far as, you know, six years in the new tasting room. Alta Kalina has made a, quite a name for itself over the last decade for a farming. And, of course, the quality of the wine, which we're going to get into. I mean, the Rhones here are in, they're so insane. We're drinking this Viognier. It, it is sexy. It is smooth. It's served at the perfect temperature. But one of the newest parts of this story of Alta Kalina is your winemaker. Indeed. Which I have a, I have a huge thing for. I love Molly. Uh, Molly Longborg is here and she's actually, which is crazy because we're smack dab in the middle of harvest right now. And uh, Molly, say hi to us for a second. This is a really exciting time for you and for Alta Kalina. It is. Thank you, Adam. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to see your face again and uh, happy to be here. Yeah, I bet. I remember right when the, the announcement was made and a lot of people were like, what? What? You know? <laughs> And we had Maggie. I don't know why we had you on the show. I think it was maybe for something, some industry thing or some charity thing. We had you on the show and you mentioned that, um, you know, you guys were getting Molly on board and just like how excited she was. And it was a really cool move because I, I love you and I thought it was such a cool move for you. And then I love Bob and Maggie and it's such a cool move for the team here. So isn't that neat when something can come together quite like that? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I've known Maggie as a friend for many years and I've seen Bob at almost every seminar I ever go to and at Maggie's birthday parties, we talk shop and, you know, it was, it was, I remember years ago we were talking and Maggie said, well, you should just be our winemaker. And I was like, huh, that would be a dream come true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like fast forward five years and it just happened, you know? And so as you know, I was at Halter Ranch for nine vintages and it was amazing. That's quite a different winery that you're playing with in here. I mean, just yeah. as in size and in scope. Getting I mean, tanks and equipment. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and budget. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing to work here. I've, you know, always wanted to work for a small family owned winery. Um, it's just so great here. As you can tell, talking to Bob, everything is about the wine. The focus here is wine and there is no lack of passion here. What drew me here first and foremost, besides the people, um, was the vineyard. If you get a chance, I mean, you've been up there. If anyone's listening gets a chance to go up there, it's it's unbelievable. And so I, I had no doubt in my mind that this was going to be the right place for me and a great project because when you start by working with such a high quality fruit, you know, it's just my job not to mess it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you came from a place that really had one foot in Bordeaux and one foot in uh, the Rhones. Right. And it's funny because this show literally is doing just that. We're, you know, talking to, you know, Daniel Dow about Bordeaux and we're talking to Alta Kalina about Rhones. What is it like kind of really finding that focus and making it all about the Rhones now with your production? 
Yeah. You know, I love making all different types of wines. I think it's really fun as, you know, winemakers, we, although I probably shouldn't use this term, but we like to consider ourselves artists. Please don't ask me to draw anything. (laughs) Um, But it's so fun to get to play around with different varietals. And throughout the years, you know, I think I've made over 23 different varietals of wines. And throughout the years, my heart really just went to the Rhone varietals. That's what I've loved to do. I don't get me wrong. Bordeaux's are great, but I, I fell in love with Rhone varietals. So to get to just really delve into the Rhones here at Alta Kalina, like I could not be happier. It's exactly what I wanted to be making and doing. Yeah, I'm pretty happy. All right. Some of the ways we're going to flex our creativity. I was talking to uh, Maggie as we were walking and she was giving me the tour and oh, like we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Like you have a lot of the stuff yeah. that you're going to be trying. I'm super excited about yeah. it. Pet nap. I know. So really fun. So we're actually going to be picking, and that's the great thing about here too, right? So we have this solid core of wines. We have this amazing membership. They love our core wines, but then we've seen through doing small little one-offs that people love these kind of creative, unique, different wines. And that's something I've always enjoyed being able to produce as a winemaker. So it's really fun to have the freedom to do that. So we're going to be making, as you mentioned, the pet nat. So we're going to do a rosé pet nat with Grenache, which we're harvesting tomorrow. Cool. Very exciting. We're also going to be doing a carbonic Grenache. I saw that in there. Which I'm very excited about. We picked for a Blanc de Noir out of Grenache as well. Cool. <laughs> if you can't tell, there's a little bit of a theme yeah. to my love. <laughs> Guess what Molly's favorite varietal is? So talk about this um, carbonic Grenache. This sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Because I've been really into these lately. Oh my God, they're so yummy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really fun, easy drinking wine. You know, a lot of people, it's a reference to carbonic maceration, which pretty much means that the fermentation is done in a carbonic environment. So pretty much an environment of filled with CO2. And rather than the fermentation occurring in the juice, it actually occurs inside the berry. So it's pretty much the easiest thing we could do as winemakers <laughs> because you just take a tank or a bin and you put whole clusters in, you layer it with dry ice and you gas it with CO2 and then you seal up the whole tank or bin and you just leave it. And you can open it up every few days if you want. If there's any juice, kind of move that around. Usually there's hardly any juice, but pretty much we'll leave it anywhere from two to three weeks. And then we'll press it off. And it's really fun during that time. If you pick a berry off of a cluster and pop it in your mouth, it's like a sparkling wine No berry. way. That's yeah. so cool. If you come back in like a week. Oh, I'm yeah. down. Yeah. And what's cool about this is that the wine it creates is like this really fun, often you can serve it chilled, yes. and it's just got a really like easy drinking, fun spirit to it. Yeah. And so it's amazing summertime wine, especially for Paso. I kind of think of it as a dark rosé or a light red. I prefer to drink them at fridge temperature. Some people like them just slightly chilled, but they're really fun. They offer a lot of fruit, a lot of freshness. You know, we all, or I don't know if everyone, but a lot of us love the Beaujolais Nouveau, which is carbonic Gamay. Here in Paso, we're never going to grow Gamay. So our closest maybe, is Grenache. Yeah, because Gamay is close to Pinot, and Pinot's got a lot of similarities to Grenache in ways. Yeah, Grenache delivers what Pinot promises. Yes, I love that line. That's great. (laughs) Let me ask you something, uh, Maggie, because really understanding that millennial demographic, I think, is important because this is like a newer demo that is interested more in what they're buying, cares about what they're drinking, and is willing to try new things. 
Absolutely. It's it's one of the things I'm incredibly excited about, the fact that Molly is going to bring all of this fun stuff to the table. We were a little gun shy, to be honest, because we have these wines that we love so much that really speak to the vineyard that our members have come to know and love. But as we dip our toes in the waters of like, let's try a sparkling, like we, Rosé was relatively new to our program about five years ago. And like Molly was saying, people love them. And I think millennials are just that on steroids, like they love them even more. So longtime wine drinkers love something new to try. And millennials, it's less sort of incidental, like I think for my dad, when he goes to one of his favorite wineries and they present him something interesting, he's delighted, but he's not necessarily seeking it out. Whereas I go somewhere Great I've point. been a lot of times and I'm like, I love everything you do. What else can I try? I love that. And we did a pet nat last year for the first time and it just disappeared. I mean, it, it was gone in the middle of COVID. We sold out of this thing that we'd never made before. And it really has put sort of a bee under our bonnet to like, let's just let's lean into the vineyard in some new ways and just try some kooky stuff. And if it doesn't work, who cares? Yeah. We'll it's kind of interesting. It it's almost yeah. like when you get, you know, they think of it like in the sports realm when, you know, like an all-star gets on another team, you're kind of curious, like what that chemistry is going to be like, you know? Um, I mean, I'm not a sports aficionado, Nor either right. <laughs> if we're going to talk sports, I did just watch the last dance. I feel like it's Jordan <laughs> playing baseball. Yeah. You know, like if he stuck with it, he would have made the major. That's what I, that's what the documentary told me. I love it. Sorry, I did like, cut that out. I, I don't did know like, anything about what I'm talking about. <laughs> I did like that documentary. Molly, I know we only have you for a couple more minutes before you, because you were literally in Harvest, so the fact you're even here, I, I'm just stoked. Um, w- this Viognier, the, the Rhone Whites are very, very special here. They are, they are, and it's so fun. The Viognier, this 2018 Viognier is unbelievable. Yeah. It has everything that I'm looking for in Viognier, as far as... It has all those stereotypical. Me too. So what am I looking for? Because well, it is. It's got it all. It's like yeah. this is a perfect Viognier. Well, I'm always. You're always. It's Viognier, right? So you're looking for those stereotypical Viognier characteristics: stone fruit, so usually peaches or dried apricots. But then you want that flat white flower characteristic, so usually some jasmine or honey blossoms. But the problem is, a lot of times to get those flavors, you have to push the ripeness pretty far. And we all know more sugar means more alcohol. But in white wines, that leads to kind of a viscous, oily feeling where when you swallow you're kind of still salivating from it and it feels thick on your mouth and as we know we're passive robust it's always over 100 degrees here so we want something that's going to be more crisp and acid driven and light on the palate and so I found with Viognier it's kind of this balancing game if you pick it too early it tastes like banana runts (laughs) and if you (laughs) pick it too late it's viscous and big and thick and so this really has that perfect balance to me where we're getting all of those characteristics but it's also not over the top with those characteristics like sometimes forgive me for saying this but sometimes i find vini can be really slutty mm-hmm. sure i get you mean you know you're like just don't throw all your cards on the table right, right yeah 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 know? like hold something back leave please. a little to the imagination exactly. please <laughs> cover up yeah um so this to me it's you know you're not getting everything on that first smell or that first sip. right you keep going back and then you're that's that, a good way to put is it. Is that honeycomb? Mm-hmm. That, you know, and it kind of just keeps building in in those beautiful flavors, and they're more balanced and delicate than in your face. My final question for you, because I know you got to get back to harvest, but are there some either superstitions or things that you will do during harvest? Or is there music that you'll you know enjoy on the crush pad or any kind of like little idiosyncratic things that I don't know about you yet? Well, always music. Yeah. Um, love me some Don Omar. I mean, Danza Kuduro. I feel like that's kind of like a harvest anthem right 
uh, anything Pitbull usually. I mean, we just really need <laughs> upbeat stuff. Usually the mornings start out mellower, you know, we'll enter with some Grateful Dead. Coffee? Some, some Beatles. I'm actually a mate drinker. Okay, cool. Yeah. So sometimes I go for the, the two o'clock coffee. We're going to have a, a keg of cold brew nitro. Ooh. So they're going to get me on the two o'clock coffee. And then what's the, uh, the lunch situation with the crew? Is it kind of... Super fun. Yeah. Super fun. So we kind of created a fun little weekly menu-ish, I guess you could say. So Mondays and Thursdays, we do sandwich bar for the team. Tuesdays, we buy lunch from town. Wednesdays, one person from the company cooks for everybody. Cool. And then what I forget, Friday's team barbecue. That sounds fun. Yeah, and we have the whole company. Anyone who can join, if you're from accounting to tasting room, come on back. And today, Ivy, who's amazing, she made this like unbelievable couscous salad with roasted vegetables and pesto and burrata. And this is in the middle of crushing, pressing. She was finishing her second press load, said one second, and just whipped up this meal. No way. I mean, it's, it's so fun. And we try to all sit down together, maybe share a bottle of wine. Are there a lot of late nights in Harvest? I remember talking to a winemaker and I was trying to kind of like juxtaposition it from when uh, a couple times I've been to France and interviewed people over there. Like I feel like in France, like at a certain time, they're like, eh, out, we're, we're done, you know, and it's like five, six. But like here, and maybe it's because it's like the whole idea of Americans never taking vacation and stuff, but like <laughs> you guys, you guys busted out at Harvest. I mean, it's we like, do. we're not coming out, we're not leaving until 1130. <laughs> I mean, what what is it like? How do you manage like, okay, I need to be, you know, a healthy person of some well-being, but I also, I mean, I got a huge job to get done. Yeah. You know, I will say in my earlier years, I was a bit more of the martyr. Like, how many hours can I work? I just worked 14 hours this week. How many was that? That was 100 hours this yeah, yeah. week. <laughs> you know, but I've gotten a little older and now I have a baby as well. And I've, I've really realized just throughout my years that if you you can usually manage your days well enough, that yeah, don't the grapes are going to be there. Need to be here at midnight. It's especially helpful when we have an estate vineyard because we're not waiting on fruit that you buy from someone else. So if yeah. you're buying fruit from other places, you might not get your fruit delivered till one p.m. Daniel, our vineyard manager, he starts harvesting anywhere from ten p.m. till five a.m. Fruits here by six thirty a.m. So we'll kind of push it earlier in the morning, and then we'll just stay as long as it takes. You know, it's. Hopefully not too many 11 o'clock nights. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a baby that needs to be in bed by 6.30. Right. But uh, we'll be, you know, it's just a lot of push and pull and you do whatever you need to do that day to get it done. Harvest 2020. Molly Lomborg is the uh, winemaker here for Alta Kalina. I'll let you get back to it. Thank Thank you you. so much. Thank you. Great to see you. I appreciate it. It's so good to see you. I love it. Very good. Maybe you should add. Wine here too. Yeah, I think I owe you still some work from an old Cork Ducks episode, huh? Yeah, Maggie's like, yeah, yeah, for sure you do. Yeah, two, two, two wine games. Two wine games. Well, the one. Remember that one time you were bad at your job and you lost the audio file. Oh my gosh! Yes, I totally. That was the only show like that ever happened to. In fact, the only other time that ever happened is we were in we were in um, we were in Bordeaux and we were doing a show and we didn't bring the right connector, like the right um, no. um what do you call it, like converter. Dongle? Yeah. <laughs> so what are the words? This was kind of a, a, a Jeremy issue who does the, cor- the co-host with me on the Cork Darks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Throwing Jeremy under well, the bus, he, huh? he freely will admit this one. So anyways, I'm like, I have like an adapter, but not like a converter. So we plug our equipment in and it's like smoking in the room. And we're like at Chateau La Poifare, like this beautiful like old Amazon, school. you don't have that on speed <sighs> dial at Chateau I know, La we, Poifare. Yeah. <laughs> we literally did the whole show on my phone. <laughs> 
passing it around. And it was in this, like, it was in the most amazing tasting room I've ever been in. And it had, like, these little drawers that come out, and you spit in them, and they suck the thing down. It was nuts. And the woman, she was so teeny and so sweet and so cute. She was, like, you know, seven, eight generation negotiator. And on the back of this tasting room, the back wall was all signatures. And as I'm talking to her, I see, like, Robert Parker. Raj Parr. And it's like, you know, some of the biggest names like in the biz. And I'm like, and here we are recording the show on the phone. And then afterwards she asked us to sign the wall. So I was like, oh, I guess it wasn't that bad. That's incredible. I love yeah. that story. I John Hancocked right over Robert Parker's name. Not over it, but. I thought you were going to say John Hancocked right over John Hancock's name. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He probably signed it too. This place was really old. <laughs> we have Maggie Tillman, Bob Tillman. I want to talk about the trailer pond because we did an episode or two ago that talked about like Paso Plus. Like there's so much more than just bellying up to a bar now. You can zip line over vineyards. You can go have the uh, wineries sister company the distillery and have their vodka and you can have a super cool glamping situation in probably the most picturesque place in paso and you can do it right here at alta Kalina. the trailer pond has been such a fun addition to sort of what we have to offer you know Bob's been talking about the vineyard. Bob is my dad, by the way. I often refer to him by his first name. Do you then, do, you do that in the real like life? Awkward questions. Do you do people. it just because it's business or because like when you're just walking into the room and if I wasn't there, would you say dad? It's probably 70, 30 dad. Yeah. Yeah. Stretch the mic over there. Do you, would you rather be called Bob or would you rather be called dad? Well, I think it depends on the situation. If there's a room full of people... Bob. Yeah. If it's just us two, dad. All right, let's talk about this trailer pond because this thing is blown. It's going gangbusters. It's going gangbusters. It's incredibly cool. So the trailer pond is our nickname for our vintage trailer campground here on the property. And we have to give a ton of credit and props to our original partner in that project, the Tinkerton Trailer Company. Um, We worked with Jamie and Carl Holm from Tinkerton Company for four plus years, five years. And they really sort of our powers combined, we, we brought the trailer pond to be. So we have this unbelievably picturesque vineyard. Like dad and I talk about this all the time. You know, when folks visit our tasting room, we're at one end of the property, but the vineyard is at the other end. It's a mile away. And so you come, you enjoy the wines, but you don't necessarily get the full experience. If we could get everyone to the vineyard, we could. And it's just sort of a logistical reality that we can't. Mm-hmm. But one of the most fun things about the trailer pond is... It's smack in the middle of this organically farmed vineyard, right? And so we met Jamie and Carl Holm about five years ago through mutual friends. They own these beautiful vintage trailers. They do all sorts of incredible And they restore stuff. them, pimp them out. They do. They're awesome. They're mostly they're mostly original. I mm. I wouldn't say they're pimped out, but they just they have that style. And you know, now you buy something and when it, you break it, you replace it. But back in the day, you broke it and you fixed it. So it's made of real things. It's made of real wood. It's fixable. You can work on these things. But we've seen like these guys work with like my friends at Sidecar and make a bar out oh, of a trailer. It's, it's so neat. Yeah, it's so like, it's their eye gorgeous. for detail and yeah. head to toe immersive experience is really incredible. Great we've point, learned a yeah. lot from them. And I met them through friends and, and they were saying, you know, we'd love to have a Tinkerton private campground. We'd love to work with a winery. It'd be cool if there was a water feature and it wasn't too far from town. And as, as Jamie was talking about this in my head, I was like, check, check. 
Check, check, check. <laughs> and then once we made that connection, no one said no. Like dad didn't say no and the county didn't say no and our insurance didn't say no. Like no one said no. We caught them before they knew what hit them. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we've heard stories from like our Cal Fire contact and stuff of like, oh yeah, people try to go for that permit now. Like not a chance. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right. So now when you go to either altacolina.com, you can find the info or just the trailerpond.com. We have these five vintage campers that originally came from Tinkerton that are situated genuinely in the middle of our vineyard. The setting is gorgeous. The sunset is perfectly framed by the hills. It's And it's a little bit like stepping back in time. It's these original trailers from the 50s and 60s. Um, half of them only have ice boxes, for example. They don't have refrigerators because there weren't refrigerators in trailers mm-hmm. in 1957. Yeah, And there's no Wi-Fi, which is by design. So we want people to just put your phone down and just have a glass of wine, enjoy. And it has just been a ton of fun. It, it really fun people come to stay. You know, we, we we always talk about how it's camping rather than glamping. We always use camping with a C because it's camping. <laughs> like there, oh, sure, because you don't want to like oh, you don't want to oversell the glam. <laughs> yeah, like there's some amenities that just aren't there. Right. And so we're always like, but you're camping. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But it's, it's genuinely, for people who think it sounds fun, like I always tell people, read the FAQs. If you get to the bottom of the page and it's not your thing, get a hotel room and come and taste with us. Like, it'll work out fine. Yeah. But it's the best. That's so cool. We see a solid mix of group bookings that book all five at once, which allows you the freedom to do things like, want a farm-to-table dinner? We've got a chef we can call. Mm. Want yoga? We've got a yoga teacher we can call. Um, or for folks who just want a getaway, you know, Paso Robles is in between LA and San Francisco. Like this is halfway between everywhere. Kind of, you want to drive somewhere for the weekend? We're booked for the weekends, but midweek. Yeah. I bet since post COVID, this must be so huge because the sales and of rent and rentals of, you know, your campers camping. I mean, all this stuff is huge right now. So I imagine you guys are just killing it because of this dynamic as well too. Like it probably doesn't hurt you. We're seeing a lot of midweek rentals in a way that we never have before. Yeah. And I think that that is a lot of it is folks. They just, they need somewhere to go. We've all been cooped up in our houses for a while and it is truly, it, the setting is just dreamy and it's, you know, like check it out on Instagram or throw a Google on it. It is, it's just cutie patootie the best. Bob, when you were first coming here, we're talking about, about the Rones. Did you know that you wanted to specialize in just Rones? Was it kind of like, you know, vineyard professional services saying, hey, we think Rones will do well here? Or is that what you just like to drink? It's definitely what I wanted to do. It, uh, I started drinking wine in the 70s and over over extended period visited many, many wine regions, both here and in Europe, drank a lot of wine. And over time, I've come to, to love the Rhones. The Rhones uh, do not have the pyrazine issues that the Bordeaux have. Uh, and that's that green pepper kind of. green pepper kind of thing. Sure. Which is great. I, many, many people love that. In fact, most people probably do. But I find that, uh, that I like the more fruit-driven wines, and the Rhones deliver that. And Paso is just absolutely situated to grow Rhone wines. If you... You go to the Rhone Valleys, particularly the southern half of the Rhone Valley, and you do a soil sample, and you look at the terrain around you, and you pull out the meteorological data, and you come back to Paso, and you do the same thing. You're going to say, holy Toledo, there's a match here. Uh, and those vines, uh, they grow well here, and uh, 
We love them. Yeah. You know, Maggie talked about uh, the desire to share um, more of the vineyard or as much as you can. But like you said, there's some logistical issues. The tasting room is right here off Adelaide Road. You can't miss it. The, you know, it just goes up. It goes yeah. up and out in a mile. Yeah. So, but you have thought of some really fun ways to share the vineyard with people. Yeah. When you come to our tasting room, you're, you're setting one mile and about 500 feet in elevation away from our vineyard. So it's a dirt road up a very steep mountain to get there. Uh, and we really wanted to put the winery up there and the tasting room up there. However, if you look at a mile of mountainside road meeting county standards, guess what? It costs a lot more than a winery does. Yeah. So the winery's here. Uh, what we have done, a couple of things, is uh, we offer tastings. We have a beautiful deck under an oak tree that sits on an area we call the Toasted Slope, which is a, a south-facing mountainside sitting at about 1,750 feet of elevation. It's got views that stretch for, I don't know, five or ten miles. You're looking out across the Adelaida, which is just the coast range, sort of a blend of mostly oak forest with little dots of, of vineyard tucked in here and there. Yeah. Uh, it's just friggin' awesome, basically. And, and we offer those tastings twice a day uh, to folks. And uh, Best is go to altacleaner.com. Yeah, go to, just go to the website and you can book it. And chances are you'll get me to take you up there. I love it because it's so damn beautiful. I like to go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we we may sit there for a while and drink some wine and chat. Actually, that's pretty cool. And I just love seeing both of you guys just have such a fun spirit about you and really genuinely just love doing what you do. And it, it's always made it fun to come uh, chat with you and, and to hang out here. I love it. Well, thank you. It's been, it's been a pleasure over the many years that you've been coming, Adam. And the wine's definitely more than don't suck. Like, you, the wines here are so, so good. Exactly. That's always been my motto. Our wines are more than don't suck. Yeah, <laughs> that's the tagline. <laughs> Maggie, let me ask you, because I, um, I still have um, a bottle of 2011 Old 900. Oh, yeah. That I haven't opened yet. Do you think that's probably about time now or what? I would say it's about time. And if we rewind to 2011, what was going on that year, that was, it was cold. Mm-hmm. Remember when it got cold? Yeah, right. That yeah. Was fun. That was an interesting what time, nice right? Time. Yeah. Oh, goodbye. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> anyway, but truly, in, in uh, living memory, for a generation, there's never been a vintage as cold as 2011. And as Molly was saying, we have a high altitude vineyard, we see a lot of sun. So in a cold vintage, we have the advantage of, the geography of our site. And so we were never that, we were never shaken in our boots that badly that we would actually get ripe in 2011. You know, that's the fear, right? When it's cold, stuff just doesn't get that ripe. The wine is just not that cool in the end. Mm-hmm. All to clean a vineyard delivered. So for us, they're lean, they're pretty, the acidity is beautiful. I think now is the time. We're in 2020 as we talk about this. I'd say open it in the next six months. Do text me as you drink it. Hmm. It's going to be killer. You know, there's this term that I kind of coined, Paso restraint. And that's, I think of it when you say that because, you know, Paso doesn't really struggle, obviously, with ripeness. And Alta Colina, these vineyards certainly do deliver. What types of steps are you and and Bob and the winemaking team and now Molly taking? Because the wine, it, it doesn't just smack you across the face. I mean, of course, the fruit is... is is there and it's assertive but there is like this like this delicate restraint on it that's very very pretty and very beautiful dad is the right person to answer this question but i'm gonna chime in first because i'm obnoxious (laughs) and if it were up to dad the volume would be all the way up but alticlina vineyard walks up to walks up to the line but it never quite crosses it and it's just something about this site and I'll let dad continue. Yeah, talk about that, Bob, because that's a really great way to put it. I like how she put that. Yeah, it's, it's something about it. I don't truly know exactly what it is, but I, my goal in life is to make those big, wacky-in-the-face uh, fruit wines. Uh, can't, 
Can't quite seem to get there. Like what? Actually. Like like a Herman story wine? Like something yeah, yeah. like a big, we, just yeah, huge. Yeah. If you look at the way we tackle these things in the winery, we we signet this the dickens out of them yeah. push them hard to for maximum extraction give them two years in the barrel uh, but they still come out they're bigger wines they're not just little itty bitty things but they're they're they, they have elegance they, that, that's the word there's yeah. an elegance about yeah. them they, they're not just sort of one-dimensional big fruit bombs or anything like that and over the year in the beginning I've and some of those are great I mean, you look at herman's story wines i mean those are balanced wines they're oh, big yeah, they're awesome. but they're balanced they're incredible I've sure been trying to make those for you yeah <laughs> But eventually, I've sort of I've come to to grips with it. It's kind of I kind of like that now. Actually. Yeah. So I'm hoping Molly, Molly is bringing a lot of new knowledge uh, to the wine making side of this thing, and also to the I'm sure she's going to be to the growing side here in another year or so. Uh, and I'm hoping we can tweak that up a little bit, but still maintain that wonderful elegance we have. Yeah, it's really the signature of this site, which is special. And I know that you know there are uh, some other folks who are lucky enough to uh, to get fruit from from Alta Kalina. So is Maggie tasting by appointment? Are we doing that now? Is that how it's all going? We are. Yeah, we've been reopened for a few months, and we are tasting by reservation. We try to leave a little bit of breathing room in the schedule, such that if someone calls day of, we do what we can to mm-hmm. to accommodate. But we are hosting everyone outdoors. We are requesting reservations again if you call we can't always swing it but we really do our best you know when someone's seeking us out to try the wines we want to share them yeah and our summit vineyard tastings what dad was mentioning about tasting up on the vineyard on that beautiful deck surrounded by vines that is also by reservation and on those you just send us an email so again if you go to altaclina.com you head over to the visit page Scroll on down. There will be information about the regular tasting room, how to make those appointments. Um, We're open Thursday to Monday right now. Our Summit Vineyard Tastings, we can do up to two of those a day. So it's a a low-volume situation. And then, of course, information on the trailer pond. We had wonderful partners for years, and we took over sort of outright about, what do you think, Dad, two months ago? Recently. So sort of summer of 2020, which like, why not just bring on a new business in 2020? Why not? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And our colleague, Melissa Swanson, stepped up. She said, I want to do this. And she is... Just, she's working crazy hard and she is killing it. Oh, that's a, she's a great gal too. I really like she her. She is incredible. Her intuition around hospitality is unbelievably mm-hmm. good. And yeah. she has elevated our game for years and bringing that energy to the trailer pond where it's sort of an extension of the Alta Kalina experience in a really seamless way. Yeah. Is just super cool to see. It feels exciting. It's the best. Because I really care about your opinion, both of yours. How's the podcast? I know you've been listening to the past episodes. You and So I got a text about a month ago from my dad at, to be fair, he goes to bed quite early. Okay. It's, (laughs) it's a thing. And so it was probably like 10 PM, which I was like, Bob, what are you doing? (laughs) You're up late. Dad, after like a little bit late, I'm like, either something horrible is happening or like, I don't know. We're a couple glasses in. Like, I don't know. And he texted me to be like, you got to check out this podcast. It's really, really great. And then he checked in with me, I don't know, four days later and was like, have you checked out the podcast? I'm like, I have. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, these are, you're talking to our friends. You're talking to people who I wish were my friends. I've, I've always felt like Paso is good at wine. We're good at growing wine. We're good at making wine, but so are lots of other places. And I think one of the things that Paso brings to the table that other places just don't have is we like each other. We're friends. There is a real community piece here. And it's one of the things with COVID that I miss the most is I'm not running into my friends at, at the bar. 
I mean, at the restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) And it just feels like a little piece of of that that you're bringing, which is really, really cool. I love the way you put things, Maggie. These conversations are so much fun. Obviously, this episode we learned, you know, here at Alta Kalina, you got to try the world-class Rones because they are just unstoppable. The reds, the whites. The big thing that I love about Alta Kalina, and I swear to God, it makes the wine taste better, is that I love the both of you. Like, the, the people here are so good and the spirit is so good. And I swear it has an effect. Like, I've always talked about this. I've probably said it ad nauseum. It's like happy food comes from a happy kitchen. Uh, my girlfriend says happy eggs come from happy chickens. Happy wine comes from a happy cellar. And happy wine and happy vibes come from here. And happy wine comes from happy dirt. Happy dirt. There you happy go. Vineyard. Gotta do the whole thing. Thank you for having Cheers, me. Cheers, Adam. Thank and you so much. Sharing where wine takes out. Cheers to you, sir. Thank you. So give me that mm, sound. We'll get by. We pass on around till the job is done. Get out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Well, from the Rhones to Bordeaux, we go. Daniel Dow loves Bordeaux varieties. He came here, set out to excel in them during the Rhone explosion here, and along with his passion, set out to let outsiders of Paso and the restaurant world, the wine world, the Somme world, know the world-class Bordeaux are made here. He co-founded the Paso Cab Collective, which has done great work in educating fans far and wide about the quality of Bordeaux wines in Paso. He took over the historic and famed HMR Vineyards Winery and has breathed some fresh new life into all of them. Remember when we talked to Jordan Fiorentini and I told you that story of Epic Estate Wines taking down the old York Mountain Winery, literally brick by brick. That was the first bonded winery on the Central Coast and how they did it in such a thoughtful way with the ultimate respect to the history and the restoration of this place. Well, Dow did the same thing with the old HMR winery. And Dr. Stan Hoffman himself of Hoffman Mountain Ranch even got a chance to see it and stand on that soil with Daniel before he passed. A very special moment for Paso Wine. And right now, Dow is on one. He is constantly in creation mode, creating even more wines, invested in Paso's downtown area for another way for you to enjoy Dow, even invested in Cambria, one of our North Coast communities, for what is going to become Dow Ocean. I can't even imagine. If you've been to Dow, you know it's just one of a kind. It's luxurious, it's classy, but still welcoming. Daniel is taking a break from pump overs to chat with me in the tasting rooms rotunda. And we have this inside joke where he tries to convince me to say my last name, Montiel, which is French, by the way. With some more French flair. He wants me to say it like Montiel. Well, it does sound better. Certainly sounds better when he says it. I can't say Montiel. It's like Montiel. Montiel. Yeah. Montiel. 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 Monsieur Montiel. Now, how, will you say Adam regularly? Adam. Adam. French Adam. Adam Montiel. Adam Montiel. You does sound like a designer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. What if, a cool brand name would be. Adam Montiel. You are a stylish dude. If there was, if I had some, some garments, would you wear Adam Montiel? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I got to like, say, I got to say cheers to you, Danny. Cheers, buddy. It's so good to catch up with you once again. Happy Harvest 2020. Huh? Thank you. It's been an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, because the year that led up to this has just been like, what? I mean, it's one thing after another. And, uh, you know, probably the uh, the best news for me this year 
is in 2020, sorry, in 2017, if you recall, we had a severe heat wave that affected the entire West Coast. And I'll be honest, I was not ready for it. Um, we lost 25% of our crop. Um, I had dry farmed 100%, and uh, the heat wave came so quickly, did not have time to react. But the good news is the, the grapes that I didn't pick that got to hang later ended up being some of my best wines. But I learned a lot from that. So I've been preparing myself by conducting trials every year on how to deal with potential heat spikes because we know with climate change, it, it, is, it is doomed to happen. I mean, there's no way around it. And what I'm very happy about is the protocol that I created has, was bulletproof this year. Two heat waves, longer both of them, each than 2017. In very much a cool year. Uh, otherwise, it was a rather cool year, was, right? But those heat waves were actually hotter and longer than 17, and we had zero damage in the vineyard. Zero. But, uh, you know, it's very important to uh, look at that issue because it's just going to start happening more and more. How's the fruit looking right now? Amazing. Is I it? mean, this is definitely, uh, from what I'm seeing this year, a definitely a Cabernet year. Possibly all the Bordeaux varieties as well. Uh, Merlot is fantastic as well. Um, I'm seeing tremendous color, great tannin extraction, just really deep. We're going to walk later in the cellar at 2.30. I'm going to do some pump overs. Uh, so, you know, and you get to see it yourself. But it's just incredible, the extraction we're seeing this year. And I actually think that, you know, as much as we don't want a lot of heat spikes, Cabernet Sauvignon has thick skin. So in those warmer years, you really get to release those phenolics more. Remember, whatever amount of anthocyanins you have in the vineyard, you're never going to extract 100% of it. But, and especially in the case of Cabernet Sauvignon, where the skin is so thick. So in cooler years, it's harder to get this color out. This is why Bordeaux, for instance, doesn't have a lot of color. And this is what this word anthocyanins means. Correct. It's, it's, in essence, the color. Correct. It's the color molecules that come from the pigmentation of the skin. And color is just, not just color. Color has texture as well. So I know it's called color, but it actually has texture associated with it. So in years like this year, where we do have those heat waves, uh, the color releases beautifully well. And the rest of the phenolics do as well. So I'm actually very happy right now with the quality of the wines. And, you know, we're probably a third of the way. Still have a two-thirds of the way to go. Now, I want to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I've just known you for so long, I didn't you know, go to the website before we talked. It's just like I'm talking to, to Danny. Um, were we 13, 14 years in now? Uh, so this will be my 16th harvest. Okay, your 16th harvest. Yes. You started here during a Rhone explosion. Everyone around you was not only planting roans, but finding fame with them. And we saw on this podcast, we talked to Eric Jensen and uh, Jordan Fiorentini and people who are making, I mean, there's no question roans uh, can be made in a world-class way here. You are Bordeaux all the way. And this episode is really special because we just, you know, had Bob and Mackie Tillman on. They're kind of this episode's expression of the roans, but you are all Bordeaux. Talk about why Paso is so good. And of course, the site at expressing these Bordeaux varieties? That's a great question. Uh, that's probably a question I got asked maybe on a, you know, almost on a daily basis. Why? Don't give me the candy answer. I want the real one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and the question I got asked all the time is, why did you come here? Why did you come to Paso yeah. to grow world-class Cabernet Sauvignon? You could have gone anywhere else, right? Um, the, the answer is very simple. Uh, so let, let's talk about terroir. And when you talk about terroir, Terroir is going to dictate the quality of your wine, okay? So you could be the greatest winemaker in the world, but if you're growing grapes in the wrong place, most likely you're not going to make great wine. So as much as, as a winemaker, I'd love to take credit for the wines, and I do take some, but the reality of it is the terroir must be fantastic. And I believe that Pastor Robles, 
may have the greatest terroir in the world for growing these Bordeaux varieties. So why is that? Let's talk about that. See, when you talk about terroir, you talk about two things. You talk about soil and you talk about climate. Let's talk about soils first, okay? So almost every known vineyard in Europe, including Lebanon for that matter, okay, has the same kind of soil. Other places in the world have it too, South Africa. But be it Burgundy or be it Bordeaux, be it the Rhone region, be it the Loire Valley, uh, be it Tuscany, be it Austria or Germany, they all share one soil in common. That soil is not called limestone, so let's not confuse, even though there is limestone in some places. It's called calcareous clay, argilo-calcaire. These are soils that Europeans, and us growing up in France, it was common knowledge, these are the best soils to grow grapes on. Why? Well, for three main reasons. One is because... These soils, they allow you to dry farm, okay? When you dry farm, you have more intense fruit and you have more concentrated fruit and therefore you're able to really express a, a rendition of a vineyard that has, and the word that I'm going to use and I'll explain it later, higher phenolics. Higher phenolics, historically, have always been associated with superior wine. So it's hard to see it in California, but let's take Bordeaux, for instance, right? What's the difference between a bad vintage and a good vintage in Bordeaux? It's very clear. The good vintage has better tannin structure, more color, more aromas, more flavors, right? The ones that are not that good, they tend to be more diluted. They tend to be more abrasive and more austere, right? What's the difference is the good vintage has higher phenolics. As a matter of fact, traditionally in France, even today, some journalists, when they talk about a wine, they will display the phenolics at the bottom of their commentaries, okay? Because greater phenolics are associated with higher quality wines. So... These soils allow you to dry farm, and that always leads to higher phenolics. Of course, you could overdo it, you could stress them too much, you could raisin, and then you actually don't release phenolics. As the skin thickens, then it actually holds back the phenolics. So it's important, it's a bell curve. You don't want to overstress them, but you don't want to understress you gotta them. You've got to find that sweet spot. Exactly, you've got to find the sweet spot. The second reason why these soils are great is they go beyond food and alcohol. And I have to tell you, our, our wines today are being received so well internationally it's shocking me. For instance, one of our wine, Patrimony Cave de Lyon, which nobody's ever tasted, uh, small production, um, got a great rating by Aaron Brooks last year, the wine advocate. Um, Europe requested a sample. We're talking four countries in Europe. We send them one sample. They were blown away. A third of the production was sold in an email that sent to their list saying, this is a future. It won't even be out until next year. No way. Said, yeah, why? And I asked them this often why. Is because, you see, wine is much more than fruit and alcohol. Fruit and alcohol, I tell people, don't waste your money. Have a margarita. Have a martini. It's a lot cheaper. But you want to taste the earth. You want to taste the nuances of basically the minerality. That's what makes you dream and get romantic when you drink a bottle of wine because you're tasting the earth. You don't want to just taste fruit and alcohol. That's just too simplistic. These soils are known for giving you that minerality you're looking for. Let's look at the third reason. In today's day and age, often winemakers, be it in Bordeaux or be it in California, are forced to basically make up what Mother Nature has not given you. So in Bordeaux, for instance, it's very common to add sugar, to chaptalize, or to concentrate the juice, to higher up your alcohol. Uh, in California, it's very common to add tartaric acid. Why? Because most of the soils in California will basically shed your entire acid. So by the time you harvest and you reach physiological ripeness, you've lost your acids. So these soils are so unique as they allow us to make natural wines. All of our estate wines, all of them, and many of our reserve, if not all of them, 
are all made with two components, our native yeast and nutrition for the yeast to finish the fermentation. So that, that cannot be more natural than that. Because we hear this natural wine all the time. In Correct. fact, there's like on your Instagram feed, people, natural wines, you know. Define that for someone, and then what does that really, let's cut through the BS, what does that really mean? It means what we're talking about here. Well, it, it really, to me, it means that you made the wine with a minimalist approach. Okay, where you didn't basically adulterate the, the heck out of the wine to basically turn it into a lab experiment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and native yeast, we use our native yeast, so that's, that's very native. And then obviously the, the yeast needs some nutrition to be able to have you know, enough ammonia, enough nitrogen to be able to finish the fermentation. So those are organic products. You, know, you just add them and basically uh, the fermentation is done. So these soils allow you to actually make these kind of wines that have those three characteristics I talked about. Well, the bad news about these soils is you don't find them in California much. You find them a little bit in the central coast, places like Livermore, and I think down south a little bit, but very small percentages. The vast majority of these soils you find in pastoral was mostly on the west side or east of Templeton, you find them as well. Let's talk about climate. Yes. I love to talk about climate because it is probably the most misunderstood subject when it comes to pastoralbos. Here's what I tell people, Adam. Imagine somebody drove up to Northern California, Stayed in Carneros, never went anywhere else, and left Carneros and wrote a statement by saying, I went to Napa and Sonoma, and it's very cold, not sure how they grow cab. That would be a pretty stupid statement. Well, it's like a bird sings and the others keep repeating the same lie. You know, everybody keeps saying, Paso's too hot. I mean, I hear it every week from critics, from other people. And the reality of it is, let's get down to the real proof of it. Paso can be six miles in the Pacific Ocean. It is so cold that I know people who've tried to grow Pinot and Chardonnay, and they've had so much shatter, they couldn't even grow it. Their yield is ridiculous. You could be 35 miles inland. It's so hot, you don't want to be there, frankly, let alone grow anything, right? So let's take, for instance, 2019. It's a good year to compare. Number of days at 100 degrees, which is really the most important indicator because anytime you get close to 100 degrees, the vine shuts down, no longer produces sugar, you get sunburn, you really degrade the quality of the wine. Okay. So last year, 2019, number of days at 100 degrees or more and, and at the airport in Paso, so looking at weather.com, is 27 days. And that was a cool year. It ranges more around 35 or 40, like a year like this year, probably around that. And San Elena in Napa, a beautiful place, had 11 days at 100 degrees or more. Calistoga had closer to 20. Even the birthplace of Cabernet Sauvignon in Bordeaux, in Poyac, they saw four days at 100 degrees last year. The entire year. Number of days at 100 degrees on Dow Mountain the entire year last year, zero. Not a single one. This year, we're actually trending five to six degrees on the average, cooler than Napa here on this mountain. So, uh, and so the elevation is everything then? Absolutely. It's also not only elevation, 2,200 feet, but it's actually the only vineyard in California that's at 2,200 feet elevation and only 14 miles in the Pacific Ocean. So you get the maritime influence. You face the Templeton Gap. It's always windy out there. You can look. Right. There's always wind blowing, yeah. but blowing. So that combination gives us an incredible climate to achieve ripeness without cooking the grapes or without under-ripening, being underripe and having you know, pyrazine and, and vegetal flavors in the Cabernet Sauvignon. So it's the perfect climate. It is on the average like St. Helena or Oakville, depending on the year. So it's a great climate for growing those varieties. So why did I come here? Because it is the only place in the planet that I could find that had the soils of Bordeaux and the climate of Napa in one location. That's why. Because in Paso, we're able to deliver incredible bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon for an affordable price. So consumers today 
They want to have value. They don't care about spending more money, but they want to have value. Because, you know, a lot of people would consider Dow a luxury brand. And no doubt, look where we are. Look at the home that you and your brother and your family have made here. It is a beautiful place. The hospitality is unmatched. But to hear Danny Dow talk about Dow as a value brand, it's really remarkable because you are really trying to over-deliver on all of these wines, even the top tiers, two of them in front of us. There's a term we use for that, approachable luxury. So, for instance, uh, a, a wine we just released, Bodyguard, that wine... It's just gone on fire right now. I mean, everybody wants this wine. Why? Because for 33 or $35, you get a naturally made wine only with yeast and nutrients, nothing adulterated in it, dry wine that is a, probably in the 0.1 percentile when it comes to phenolic levels in the world. Nowhere can you get a bottle of wine that quality for that price. And that's what we're about. We make wines from you know $20 to $1,000 a bottle, Adam. But we still think it's a value wine. Yeah. Even at a thousand, we think it's a heck of a deal. Which one is the thousand? That's the Black Label Series Patrimony. Oh my gosh. Very small production. No what, well, what does that mean? Very small. What do you mean? Two barrels. That's it. Really? Yeah, yeah, very small. Unbelievable. We got to go thief that barrel at some point <laughs> <laughs> if we're lucky. You know, when we came here, I'll be honest with you, uh, and I don't fault wineries for saying that because I can understand if you're a winery. And if you've invested your life into planting a certain variety and you've gotten great ratings and the whole cycle seems to be going the right direction, suddenly comes this guy out of nowhere, or these two guys, I should say, my brother and I, and we say, no, 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 this place is for cab. So look, I understand the reaction. I don't fault them for it. But the truth is, the first two, three years we were here, let's just say it in a, in a kind way. We got a lot of insults. Yeah. We heard it all. Go back to where you came from. Go up north. What are you doing here? You know, you guys are idiots. You don't know what you're doing. You're planting the wrong variety. You've got beautiful views, but your wines are terrible. I mean, we heard it all. You are a personality and a brand where people seem to have very strong opinions. You agree with that? I, I agree with that. Where do you think you're most misunderstood? I think people don't understand that. Okay. Let me tell you how I see it. I've learned one thing in my life, okay? That's a very important thing, is I've never chased money. I've always chased my passion. So my first company, I was chasing high tech because I was passionate. I was one of the first kids in Paris to pick up the computers and program an assembly language and microcode and doing all these things. And when I was 21 years old, I decided to start a company and convince my brother and, and my dad to join because I was passionate about what I was doing. I did the same thing with my my making career. And people often see money and they misunderstand me. They think just because a person has money that they're out chasing more money or they're out because they think they have money, they're any different people. I've never been different with or without money. I've been broke. I've had $20 in my pocket and I ate pasta for two months to survive, paying my own college education. And I've been wealthy where I was very successful and I built the fifth best IPO on Wall Street in 1997 at a young age of 30 years old. So I've been on both sides of the coin. Where people misunderstand me is they cannot get past the money. And so if they want to get to know me, they should take the step in getting to know me. And then they can decide the kind of individual I am. It's funny you say that because, and I was so lucky to meet you early on when I did, because as you do the show and you talk to a lot of different people, a lot of different people talk. And one, for my benefit, I was able to meet you and learn you from you. But also, I felt confident to stand up to somebody who maybe didn't know you and maybe thought they did or thought they heard something that they knew and say, 
you know, he doesn't make the wine. It's like, no, I've been up there. <laughs> this dude's there at 5 a.m. every day in Harvest. Sorry, Adam, can't hang out like we were going to or can't chat. This dude's making the wine. I really appreciate what you just said about that. Did that feel good to kind of like, I felt like of all the years we've talked and on the air and even off the air, that was so perfectly put right there. Well, thank you. You know, there's a French say that's very, very popular in France, and it's one of my favorite say. Le chien aboie, la caravane passe. It basically means the dog barks, but the coach keeps going. And I don't get moved by people throwing insults at me. I'm focused on following my passion, on making the best wines I can, and that has never, never stopped. Earlier in this episode, we talked to Bob Tillman and Maggie Tillman, and Bob was... uh Great family, by the way. Great family. I love them both. They're really nice people. They're genuine. Oh, Very genuine. Aren't they? And the wines are just like... Oh, yeah. The, the wines farming, are fantastic. I mean, you got to respect that because you're a meticulous farmer, too. Yeah, Their yes. farming is fantastic. And Bob, he's like, that guy has done so much for Paso. And I know to, to some people listening, I and mean, we had Gary Eberly on the show. You know, So we're talking 40 years. Toby was on the show last episode. Cynthia Lore with J-Lore. A lot of people have done stuff longer and, and were more of the pioneers of this area. But in this little over a decade, you have have really taken this Paso flag and adopted that same ideology that Gary would say back in 1982. If Paso doesn't succeed, Eberly's not going to succeed. And it has been Paso for you. And uh, what Bob was saying was just like, he has done so much for this area, investing in the area, investing in marketing the area, you know, working with the, the, the growers. I remember you called me to meet up at your house with a couple other winemakers, a grower, a couple other industry professionals, just to talk about the state of the area and how we can improve it. You have a love affair with Paso Robles. I do. I love Paso. I think uh, it's, a, it's a region that I believe is capable of producing the best wines in the world. And I know that seems boastful. I'm getting more confident saying that. Ten years ago, I would have said may. <laughs> Three years ago, I would have said can rival. But today, right. I'm telling you, I, I've seen it. And I can, I can guide you through why. I've measured over 600 wines, Adam, 600 from all over the world. Nothing can generate the phenotics. Paso is able to do that. Not even Napa. Do you obsess over some of this stuff? I know your corks. I've heard how you get your corks. I know how you get your barrels. And honestly, we could talk a whole hour. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed about everything. This, do you? Uh, winemaking consumes me. So yeah. uh, I never rest on my laurels. I'm always conducting new trials, uh, coming up with new ways of improving the quality so those are some of the things that yeah. come out of uh, being restless and obsessive, compulsive at point at, at right at times. Sure, I want to go back even deeper in history. Yes, I learned uh, you were born in Lebanon. I was. You dealt with a lot there, even like a PLO attack. Correct. Uh, it, you were in a room, uh, a bomb hit, scarred your face. Correct. I mean, this. You moved to France. You were raised in France after that. Correct. And then you came to the University of San Diego, University of California, University of California, San Diego. Yeah. Correct. You speak so highly of the lessons and the traits and characteristics that you learned from your mom and your dad and your family. It really is enthreaded in all of this. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about that history and how that kind of sculpted what we see and are able to experience right now. I mean, the wine that we're drinking right now is literally an homage to your father. It is. It is. You know, we were blessed to grow up with such incredible parents. Um, words cannot describe it. They were loving. They were never judgmental. It taught us to never judge, to love. It taught us to pursue our dreams and never give up on them. Uh, and they were there always to support us with whatever decisions we made. I remember going to my dad at 21 years old saying, I'm going to start a high-tech company 
that provided networking. And, you know, he came from the furniture world. He had, he had nothing, no knowledge with high tech. And he looked at me, he goes, talk to your brother, I'm in. I'll support you guys. The young blood, the young blood is going to decide the future. And that was his attitude. He supported us with everything. It was a big loss for us to lose them and my sister, all in 14 months, in 2010, the year we actually opened the winery. And I tell you, there isn't a day that goes by, I don't think of them. They, they left that much of a mark on us. You know, this, and I remember talking to Cynthia Lore about this, and I was fascinated in their ability to be a brand that has such a, a close connection to their consumer. And we always hear this term in, in the biz, uh, direct-to-consumer, DTC, right? Yep. But also, you can go into a store and see J-Lore. You know what I mean? Seven Oaks Cab is, is everywhere. Your brand here, the hospitality, the luxury is unmatched. The views are unmatched. But you have also been able to wave the flag of Paso in a unique way on shelves all across the country on some of the well, nicest a, wine lists in a, the country. Actually, internationally, we're in 35 countries. Give an example, UK, I mean, is ordering a lot of wine. Harrods today, if you go to Harrods, probably the most successful wine store in the world. Yeah. Uh, you'll see Dow right there with large formats. If you go to Hedonism, another very successful in the UK, uh, you'll see Dow Wines, Patrimony, France, believe it or not, has already purchased a thousand cases from us this year. <laughs> There's even a place in Saint-Tropez that wants to pour our rosé. Go figure. So, <laughs> Are you kidding? No, no, no. The rosé, this is new and it really took yeah, off. The rosé is great. So, so you know, it's, it's, uh, people recognize values regardless of the price point all over the world. If you deliver a great bottle of wine um, and, and it is a value regardless of the price point. Like I said, we don't, we don't make, you know, very inexpensive wines. We make value wines regardless of the price point people are going to recognize the quality and what we're seeing is asia is coming on board for us uh canada is very strong for us um you know like i said before about a third of our production for cap de Lyon got sold over an email by four distributors i think in denmark and norway and the uk and a couple other places so focus on quality and i think the rest comes uh that's what we do you know, I remember having some of my mo- my favorite Merlots here, and I know you do a Cab Franc that's like a home run. To taste these Bordeaux varieties done in this way is very special. You brought out arguably, I mean, you could go through the, the entry-level wines at the tasting room and be blown away, but you went and really brought your finest expressions of your estate. We have the Soul of the Lion, which we talked about a little while ago, mainly Cab Sauve, um, a little Petit Verdot, and and uh, some Cap Franc. And then this patrimony. I remember when you first started, you know, getting into the patrimony, I want to say four or five years ago. Yeah. Was that about? Vintage, uh, was 2013. Okay. Th- okay. That was the first. So, but this, you were like, you were so excited about it. You were like a kid on Christmas, like, wait till you try this wine. And then, and, and we have it here and we're going to talk about it in a second. But you even just alluded to like this patrimony, even that has levels of, of luxury. I mean, where, where is this desire coming from to just always, I, I bet I can even do better than that, you know? No, the, the sky's the limit. We, yeah. we, don't, we don't limit ourselves. Um, you know, we, we truly have believed in the wines from day one. And from day one, they've been received extremely well. Uh, I have to admit, uh, launching Patrimony is a higher price point. And uh, when we first launched our Solo line, it was the first cab to sell for that amount in Paso. And I'm not going to mention the winery, but somebody who works for a winery, uh, who has worked for a winery for a long time, and for an old-timer who has had higher-end cabs, 
came to me and said, I heard you're launching a $125 Cabernet. I said, I did. He said, how many cases did you make? I said, 500. He said, you know, we have experience selling those. It may take you four or five years to sell it. It sold in five weeks. Oh, man. So, uh, and, and, and since then, it has not stopped. And that's because it's quality wine. It's a heck of a bottle of wine. And then when we, did, when we released Patrimony, I'll be honest, I was a little bit nervous. Now we were approaching the Opus One pricing of 275 plus. And it's like, how is that going to sell? There's been a waiting list. That's three-year waiting list. Why not? Sold. I mean, you, look, at, we, we, we've renamed the Pacific Ocean Dow Ocean. We have, <laughs> <laughs> we have Dow, the, the, the beautiful red. I mean, literally the barrels, the bands on the barrels are, are the same red as, uh, you know, your, your favorite color of red, and I love it. But patrimony on the front, gorgeous, no mention of Dow. Well, what's a, the purpose of that? It's a different winery. Yeah. It's a totally different winery. As a matter of fact, we hope to start construction next year. Uh, for the Patrimony Winery. Uh, so we actually purchased uh, the adjacent property, Dow Mountain, which is about 260 acres. And uh, the goal is to build Patrimony, patrimony Winery there and plant the vineyards. And obviously, it's all part of Dow Mountain, so we actually pulled fruit from the best blocks on Dow Mountain today. Um, so Patrimony is not about, can we sell a bottle of wine that sells for 275 Patrimony is, the reason Patrimony was launched is because there are some blocks actually few rows in some blocks that actually we've seen are able to achieve levels of phenolics that are even beyond anything Dow can provide, like the Dow labels. And, and those are actually the highest in the world right now, pretty much, or close to it. So when we saw that, we we're like, this deserved, this deserved its own label. This deserved its own winery. Um, so Patrimony today, there are basically four, four products. Um, one is the Patrimony Cabernet, which has been around since the 2013 vintage. Now, keep in mind that it takes four years for the wine, Patrimony to come out. Four years. The barrel takes five years to make alone. So the, the wine takes 30 months in barrel, then one year in bottle. So by the time it's released, it's four years later. So we have a Patrimony Cabernet Franc, which is unreal. I, I love uh, your Cab Franc. Oh, I bet the Patrimony Cab Franc is, is like... I didn't think Pat, I didn't think any Cabernet Franc in the world could reach that quality. It's the phenolics are as high as the cab on Cabernet Franc, just unreal. Aged the same way, so that's another small production that we have. And then we uh, we made starting in the 17 vintage. We haven't even released it yet. We haven't even let the public know much about it. Is the Black Label Series Patrimony? That's two barrels only out of the Patrimony. So we're talking glass. 50 cases. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, it's, Maybe. Only, it's only bottled in Magnums. Oh, okay. So it's less than that. Yeah. Well, because we lose some as well. Sure. So, and then we have a, a, a blend called Cave de Lyon, Caves of the Lions, uh, that comes from my house and my brother's house in the Alleda district down the street. You've been to the house. And uh, that is an amazing wine. It's a blend of 60% Cabernet. Sauvignon and 40% Cabernet Franc. Did you literally pick your home on, on some good terroir because you need to want to grow wine there? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That I, was a prerequisite. <laughs> right. What do you see? Um, you're, you've been here for uh, you know, the last over 10 years and Paso has changed so much. I mean, you're part of that, that, that evolution and that growth. What do you see? What do you feel when you drive downtown now and just like, oh my God, like all this great food, great things to do? I, I mean, there are so many great things happening in Paso. I know COVID probably took a little bit of a dent in some, some restaurants and some places, but look, we're resilient. We'll come back strong, and we'll come back stronger, you know. I love so many new things about Paso Leti. The Paso Market Walk, really cool place. 
I've been a vegan for a couple months, so I've been uh, checking out. The You're vegan. a newly vegan? Uh, well, I'm trying it. You know, I've been, yeah. I've been for two months. I'm really liking it. Yeah. And uh, I've been really enjoying that vegan creamery down at the Paso Market Walk. Uh, you know, the cheeses taste amazing, and they're vegan. You know, there's a lot of new restaurants. There's Le Petit Canaille, very nice place. I bet uh, you were thrilled with that. Yeah, yeah. Stefan's son is doing an incredible yeah. thing. Yeah, I think his name is doing a great job. Obviously, Thomas Hill Organic, Yel Cortili, Bonatavola, you know, Bistro Laurent. I mean, uh, those are all classics here in Paso and uh, I'm glad they're around I'm glad they're surviving because they're a big part of the fabric of who we are here. Is it more of a win to see you know your wine on a list say here at home or to see it on some you know crazy restaurant in New York City or I mean the best steakhouses in Vegas I mean because I know you're all you're on all of them. Yeah you, you know it, that doesn't I mean obviously I like seeing that but what really gives me pleasure is more than that. What gives me pleasure is when I walk into a restaurant and it, I'm somewhere where nobody knows who I am and I look around and I see people drinking Dow. That makes me very happy. Uh, because wine, for us, it's a way of sharing the love that we have. I ever walk into a place and I see people are drinking Dow, I many times will introduce myself and pay for their bottle. Oh, see, how cool is that? Well, you know, it, That's it, leaves, it leaves a good mark. You know, I mean, I mean it, we've been so blessed, it's good to give back. Give back. And if yeah. somebody is so much in love with a bottle of, of my wines, our wines, that they're drinking in a restaurant and they have no idea who I am, uh, makes me happy, so I like to surprise people once in a while, saying, "Let me buy you a bottle." What's next for uh, for Dow in the next uh, year or so? You've always—I mean, look at—I've tasted your Solomon Hills Pinot Noir. I mean, you you love to make wine all different kinds from all over. Like, wh- what's next? What are some of the things you're playing with? Well, I think I think what you, what's next is you're going to see uh, you know Patrimony Winery hopefully being built starting next year, and I think this is really going to elevate the game even more so uh, for Pastorobles. Uh, I mean, being able to compete with the best of the best of France and Napa uh, is not something that is easily done. Uh, but we're not, we're going to toe on pricing now. We're saying, you know, you can get a bottle of wine for the same price. You can get a bottle of wine, better, better bottle of wine here. We're confident we can do it based on tasting all the other wines, uh, analyzing them, uh, you know, uh, really scrutinizing them the best way possible. And we've done a lot of tastings. And I tell you, I, I feel very bullish about that. I, I actually think that it's time to get out of the box by saying we can rival these regions. I think we can be better than these regions. And I think, uh, and I think the proof is in the pudding. Now, I know you're, you've done very well with, with scores. Do you ever find yourself sometimes slipping into, or maybe as a younger winemaker, you know, a decade ago or more, more slipping into wanting to make wines for certain no. people for scores? I don't, I, and, I'll, and I'll give you the, all the reasons for it. Uh, the trend was to have residual sugar. Uh, you take a look at our estate wines, I am bone dry. I am under 0.5 gram per liter in most cases. Some wines in 19s were a 0.1 gram per liter. So uh, people were advocating for high alcohols of 16%. I mean, I've measured so many wines from around here in California at 16 and a half. Uh, we stuck with a 14 to 15. Rarely do we go over 15. If we do, it's usually by a small person percentile. So we have bugged the trend uh, all the way. People have been shying away from uh, oak. Uh, they go toward eggs and they go towards uh, concrete eggs. Uh, not us. You know, we're sticking with oak. Uh, all our estate wines are aged in 100% new French oak. You know, uh, I'll tell you something. It's, it's not going to be easy. Most people have a hard time thinking gray. Most people thinking think black or white. Okay? So... Most people keep thinking, well, is it Rhone versus Bordeaux? And my answer to them is it's not. There's 614,000 acres here. You know, everything can grow depending on where you are. We're all in this together. 
We want people to recognize the Paso region as being a great region. So get on the train, get on board. We're all in this together. If you make great wines, you make great wines. You know what? Good for the consumer, good for you, good for the region. So don't look at the tree, look at the forest. If we all team up together and make great wines, you know what? It's going to draw a bigger crowd here, and Paso will be on the map more than anybody else. So it's small thinking to think, well, you know, he's bringing cab, and I'm Roan, and I'm Zinfandel. It's, it's petty, frankly. It's we got to keep the forest in check, not the tree. I have to tell you, though, after saying that, and, and that doesn't contradict what I just said, you know, it's hard to break, you know, old thinking. Uh, for instance, I have to tell you, it's been an uphill battle to get critics to sometimes give us the appropriate ratings. I mean, we've canceled a couple of critics because they're stuck on this as a Rhone region. But look at the one advocate. I give a lot of credit to Erin Brooks. I tell you, she's a uber talented, okay? She's super talented. She has an incredible palate. But she has no fear. She came here last year. She rated 546 wines. Top eight wines were down. 546 wines, 21 of our wines got 95 or higher. Because she looked at it purely as, I'm going to give the best wines the best ratings. Not, well, I don't want anybody to get upset at me. Unfortunately, there's too many politics when it comes to ratings. Again, who cares? Let's bring the consumers here. Let's introduce Paso to the whole world. And if you're making a great drone, good for you. Let's have a glass of wine. Okay? But if I'm making a great cab, enjoy it as well. Okay, we're in this together. Wine is much more than fruit and alcohol. You want to taste the earth. That was a gem that you dropped a little while ago. This was some great, this was some great audio. I really loved this conversation. It's been way too long. Thank you for having uh, this conversation during your Harvest 2020. I know it's not easy, but you did this for, you know, for the podcast, for Paso Wine, for me. Like, it's a huge favor. So very much appreciate you always, my man. And I love you. Thank you, buddy. Love you too, Adam. Montiel, Monsieur Montiel, don't forget. The Montiel. <laughs> well, unequivocally, we could say Paso is locked and loaded with the best of what Bordeaux varieties can express as well as Rhone varieties. Such a fun episode today. Thanks, of course, to Maggie and Bob Tillman, as well as winemaker Molly Lomborg, all of Alta Kalina, and of course, Daniel Dow and the team over at Dow Vineyards. Make sure you share the podcast. It means a lot. And if you can rate, review, and subscribe, it means so much. As well as hit that fifth star. Even write a question or a suggestion. I check them and would love to connect. Well, speaking of connect, you can always log on to PasoWine.com and connect with us. Definitely a great resource before you plan your next trip. Thanks to Dan Curcio and Moonshiner Collective for the original music heard here. Check them out wherever you get your music or moonshinercollective.com, where wine takes you is executive produced by Joel Peterson and the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance and is recorded, mixed, and produced by yours truly. I'm your host, Adam Montiel, or should I say, Adam Montiel. You can check me out when you're visiting here on your radio. My morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, is on Coast 104.5, as well as Wine Country Radio. Yes, we literally have a radio station devoted to this. Check out the Crush 92.5 next time you're tasting in Paso Wine Country. Thank you so much again for listening. Celebrating Paso, this great area, these great people, and seeing where wine takes you. And give me that moonshine, we'll get by. We can pass all around till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify and work on. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by. We can 
pass on round till the job is done. Camp out in the trees, it will simplify and good company. Give me that moon sound, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is done. Camp out in the trees, it will simplify and good company. Give me that moon sound, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is done. Camp out in the trees, it will simplify and good company.